0: Please be seated. Good morning. India, that was you in front of me. I couldn't see anything. It's not because I'm short, it's because you're tall. Wow, it's good to see you all. You know, a new pastor had just arrived in town, and it was only his third week of serving at church when he received this call from the funeral director of the town saying, could you please help us hold a graveside service at the small country cemetery? Now, because the deceased had no friends or family, it was just going to be the funeral director and the pastor, and the pastor felt, oh, look, I really should be there for this person who has no one in his life. And... Um, but since he was new, he sort of got a bit lost as he was going to the cemetery, and he arrives about half an hour late. And then when he gets there, he notices that, you know, the hearse is missing, the funeral director has gone, and he says, oh, gosh, what am I going to do now? But then he saw these gravediggers sitting by the side under a tree eating their lunch, and he spotted the newly dug grave. So he made his way over, and he saw the vault which was in place, and he decides to open the book of worship. He begins offering prayers and, and scripture readings, and then he briefly preaches about the love of uh, God. After about 15 minutes, he's finished. And then with a final silent prayer, he turns and makes his way back to the car, waving to the workers uh, still under the tree. And they wave back. And then he heard one of them say, You know what? I've been digging septic tanks for 30 years. That's the first time I ever saw one prayed and preached for. I stole that off Pastor Bill Johnson. Hmm. You know, we are at the end of, it, of end of the year and usually what happens at the end of the year, we feel quite exhausted from everything that's happened and all that we've been through either at work or issues that have occurred in our families or different things and it's almost a time of the year when you just want to sit back and relax and just you know, recover from the year that has been. And for us as a church as well, you know, we heard some fairly momentous news last week of changes that are happening in the church in the coming year. And uh, sometimes when you are faced with those kinds of thoughts about what's going to happen in the future, you know, what's going to happen with maybe my stuff in my personal life, with work, with, with personal issues, with, with family, all that kind of thing. And, and for us, you know, in the church, what's going to happen in the church We can sometimes allow ourselves to become quite anxious and worried. And it is possible that, uh, you know, there's a state of fear that develops and you wonder and you're just thinking about it constantly. But we have a choice. We have a choice to either live in a state of fear and anxiety or we can choose to step out in faith and be excited for what's coming up ahead. That's a choice that you and I can make, and we can decide what our choice is going to be. You know, as I was thinking about this, and I was also considering what my response was going to be, I was reminded of a story in in the book of 1 Samuel, and it's a story that uh, I think is very timely, and it's something that's just given me a lot of encouragement. And I do want to share that with you this morning. It's a story of Jonathan and his father Saul. And I know last week, Pastor Ben talked to us about a tale of two daughters. I want to talk today about a tale of two decisions, a tale of two decisions. So a little bit of context to the story before I read it out. And I think I'm, it's about 23 verses, but I feel that I must read out that entire passage so you get an understanding of where I'm coming from. But a bit of context, so Saul has been crowned the new king of Israel, and he, as he's taken charge and he's got his army together, he's decided who's going to be with him, who's going to be with his son Jonathan, and they're all sort of deciding on how they're going to go forward, and Jonathan is, is, this, uh, is, this, real, is this real warrior, and, and he goes out and he attacks an outpost of the Philistines, and he comes back, and then Saul hears about it, and he says, oh, Uh, He he won this little battle against the outpost. So let's assemble everyone in Israel and we're going to go to war against the Philistines without inquiring of the Lord, without asking anyone or asking of the Lord whether this is the right strategy or what we should do. He just decides this is what we're going to do. Gets everyone together and then makes a mistake because he gets impatient because as they're waiting there, ready to go into battle, the Philistines Paul suddenly said, okay, we've heard about these guys now. They're preparing for battle with us. Well, we'll give them a battle. And so they come, and the Philistines are not like the Israelites. They have 3,000 chariots. They have 6,000 charioteers. Their army is is described as being as numerous as the sand of the seashore. That's how big their army is. The Israelites could muster about maybe 4,000 men. And that's all they have to deal with this massive army. And Saul's waiting there for Samuel to come and, and, and bless the sacrifice before they go into war. And as they're waiting, 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 the people are getting more and more afraid as they see this massive army amassed against them. And they're wondering, what are we going to do? And slowly men start sort of getting more and more afraid. They start walking away, they start running away, they start going into hiding, and and Saul's getting more and more impatient and wondering, why isn't Samuel coming to offer the sacrifice? And finally, he takes things into his own hands, and he, he decides to offer the sacrifice. You may know the story. And just as he offers the sacrifice, Samuel appears and says, what have you done? What have you done? How dare you offer that sacrifice that's meant to be for the priest or the prophet to do that role? And he says, because of what you have done, Your kingdom is going to be taken away from you, and one who is after God's own heart will lead this nation. So, that is sort of the background. The Philistines have come, and what the Philistines have done is they've also confiscated every weapon that the Israelites have. They have no weapon, they have nothing that's made of iron. The only things they have of iron are things that they use for agriculture so their hoes and and their plowshares and stuff like that. But no weapons whatsoever. And to sharpen those implements that they use to, to farm, they have to go to the Philistines, and they have to pay them money to sharpen their weapons. But when they are sharpened, they don't sharpen them too sharp, because they don't want them to be used as a weapon either. But they sharpen just a little bit, enough for you to just dig the ground, and then they send them back. In all of Israel, there were two swords as they go into battle, two swords, one with Saul and the other with Jonathan. This is the situation they are faced with as they stand there ready to go into battle. What do we do? Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, you take us through circumstances and situations in our lives where sometimes we are faced with insurmountable odds. And sometimes, Father, our circumstances seem far beyond what we are able to bear. They seem beyond what we are able to negotiate or navigate, and it overwhelms us. But, Father, we know that you are a God of the impossible. We know that you are a God who is able to move on our behalf, because that's what your word tells us, and you, you promise that you are with us always, always. And Father, this morning, as we sit in your word, as we look to you, Father, I pray that you will encourage our hearts and show us what you want us to learn, that we may know what your will is for our lives, even as we are faced with circumstances and where we have to make choices. I pray that you will guide us and you will show us what we must do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verses 1 all the way to verse 23. It says, One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul, meanwhile, was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sene. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash and the other to the south toward Geba. And Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. His armor bearer says, do all you have in mind. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. And Jonathan said, come on then we will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor-bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Climb up after me, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And so Jonathan climbed up, using his hands and feet, with his armor-bearer right behind him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan. And his armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field, those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. And Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, It was Jonathan and his armor-bearer who were not there. Saul then said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. And while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Amen. What an incredible story, incredible. Who loves a good uh, story like that? A story of those who are outgunned and outmaneuvered, standing up against a, a, a big army, a force that is overwhelming, and to be able to step out and win. There were two choices that day. One was the choice of Saul Saul was the king. He had been chosen. He had been anointed. And he was told that you are going to now lead this nation. He was a man who began humble. In fact, when they when they anointed him and and, and they cast lots to see who was the, going to be the king, they couldn't even find him because he was hiding, because he was so, so He of said, Who am I? And, and he was just so humble because he knew where he had come from, and his family was just a small family. This man who began humble. As we see him progress in his role as king, we see that he's a man with a lot of flaws. He's a man who's crippled by self-doubt. He's a man crippled by fear, lack of confidence. He's a man who's crippled by, by overwhelming envy for anyone who does anything more than he does. He's a man who is also arrogant at times. What is Saul's choice? While he is sitting there, the whole nation waiting for him to make a move it says, he and his men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree. I don't know what the uh, reason or the significance of the pomegranate tree is. Maybe it has good fruit that you can sit and eat. Maybe it's a, it's a tree that, that has good shade, and you can sit there, and it's quite comfortable. But he's sitting there. And you know who he's got with him? He's got Ahijah, the priest. Wearing the ephod, which was the priestly garment. And in the ephod was the urim and the thumin, which were the two stones that they used to determine what was God's will in a particular matter. Should we go and fight? Should we stay? Should we do this? Should we do that? They would use the two stones to decide what God was trying to tell them to do. So he's sitting there and he has all that with him. Funny that there are a few names that are mentioned. It says Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub son of Phinehas, son of Eli. Why? What is the significance of Ichabod? So Ahijah is the nephew of Ichabod. Ichabod was a priest. And what his name signifies is the glory of the Lord has departed. The glory of the Lord has departed. So here he is sitting with all these people. Indecisive. Comfortable. Under the pomegranate tree. Probably Fearful. And wondering, what do I do next? I have no idea what I'm going to do next. I'm just going to sit and see what happens. Well, I don't know what sort of a choice that is as a king. But then what is Jonathan's choice? Jonathan decides, number one, he decides, I'm going to step out. I'm going to step out. In this defeated, depressed, discouraging circumstance, Jonathan makes a choice. He makes a choice. He says to his armor bearer three words that would change the course of his life that day and the life of the Israelites. Let us go. Let us step into this gap. Let us step into the unknown. Let us step into where these question marks are. Let us step into uncharted territory. Let's leave what is safe and comfortable. Let's leave this place that we've been in. With all these 600 ill-weaponed soldiers, let's step into this place of risk. Let's step into a place of faith, a place of the unknown. A defining moment with three words, let us go. And as they step out, it says on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross, to reach the Philistine outpost, was a cliff, and one one cliff was Bozes, which meant smooth and shiny, and the other was Sene, which meant filled with bramble and thick bush. The only way to reach them was upward through this tiny little passage that went between the two cliffs. Not an easy path, but a path nevertheless. A path he would never have discovered if he had remained where he was, if he had sat with all the others, if he had decided that I'm not going to do anything, if he had just sat there, he would never have discovered that there is a way up to which we can reach these Philistines. But as he steps out, he begins to see the next step forward and where he must go. Hard, but possible. Here's what Jonathan knows, and here's what you know. Somewhere deep inside each of us, we can either choose to just exist. You know what existing is? We live each day. We get up each morning. We go about our routines. We go to work or whatever we do. We come back home in the evening. And then we do the same thing over and over again. And we choose to just exist. And if you are taking a breath right now, are we all taking breaths? Yes. Yes. I imagine so. If not, we we, we are in trouble. <laughs> We're in trouble. But if you're taking a breath right now, you are existing. Obviously, existing is a given. It's a given. But living is a choice. And Jonathan, on this morning, this morning that was like any other morning, decides I am no longer willing just to exist, but I want to live, and I want to live the life that God has for me. And sometimes that's what God is telling each of us today. He invites us to this place of not just being existing, but to say to God, God, I long for you to do more. I long to not just have breath in my lungs, but I long to have a reason for the breath in my lungs. In the the New Testament, there are two words used for life. One is bios, from which we get the word biology, which means to live, to just to live. And then there's the other word, zoe, which means a life that comes from Christ. It's a spiritual life. That's the life that makes the breath you take worth living. In John's gospel, there are 44 references to the zoe life, each of them connected to Jesus and what he's able to bring to us. The life that comes to us when the spirit of the living God begins to dwell in us is that Zoe life. A life that is filled with meaning and a life that is filled with purpose. The life that Jesus says, I came, my purpose, he says in John 10.10. He says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich, satisfying life. A Zoe life not a life in which you just exist, but a life in which you thrive, a life in which you flourish, a life in which it is exciting every single day and you are accomplishing things for the sake of the kingdom. That his people may have the kind of life that makes life worth living for, a kind of life that has a purpose and a kind of life that you live to the full. Whenever we see God's call to people all across the world. He's telling a lot of people, go, go. God told Abraham, go to a new land. God called Moses, go back to Egypt. God tells Joshua, follow closely. Because we're going away, you've never been before. We find the go principle even in the final instruction of Jesus to his disciples, where he promised to be always with us when we go. So, what is it that is stopping? you and I? What is it that stops us? Maybe it is decisions we've made in the past where we regret. Maybe, maybe we made mistakes in the past, and then that prevents us from moving forward. Or maybe and it's a fear of, of, of failure, that maybe if I step out and I do something and I fail, oh, I could never accept that. What would people say? But there are so many opportunities that God brings our way. But there are lots of ways we get stuck in that moment, and maybe it's because we lack vision. We just don't have a vision for how God might be calling us to leave one side of the mountain, to walk down into the valley, and to climb up to the other side. Maybe we just don't have any clue how we can step into Zoe instead of just settling for bios. But here's the deal. When we fail to choose, we choose to fail. And you've probably heard that before. When we choose, when we fail to choose, we are failing to step into the moment God has for us. And what we are choosing when we say that, you know what we're saying? We're saying, God, I don't believe that you can work in this situation. And I don't believe that you can use my life for anything great. And we are questioning God and saying that I don't believe you can do what your word says you can do. So is there a decision that you need to make? It's just been staring at you. It's on the horizon, and you know. You know what that decision is that you have to take. The Spirit of God is saying to you, you have got to step into that moment. But what is it? What is it that he is calling you to? Inactivity versus initiative. You know, when we were getting ready for the, um, the musical, The Wonder, the And everyone was looking at their parts. I remember distinctly when Karen looked at her part. And there were all these songs that she had to sing. There were all these lines she had to learn. And my goodness, she was fearful. I can't do this, she said. But she stepped into it. Didn't you, Karen? You stepped into it and you did an incredible job of it. Remembered every single line and sung those songs beautifully. Well done like that you know there are so many things that we will be faced with that we may be fearful of taking the opportunity to step into. A few days ago I was walking through one of the boards and I, I saw this guy out of the corner of my eye and I thought I know that face and I went in to say hi to him and it's a person who had worked with us many years ago in the operating theaters and he left his job and he made some poor life choices and He's ended up having an amputation of one side, and he's on the verge of having an amputation of his other side as well. But he was just, in the, in the, in the course of just a conversation of a few minutes, he tells me, you know, Doc, when I left work and, I, and I, I lost my leg, I lost my will to live, I lost my will to do anything, and I just sat at home and I drank. That's all I did, I just sat at home and I drank and drank and drank. And then, a few months ago, I got offered a job. And so a lot of you, uh, many of you know this particular guy called Colin who has, uh, he's a, as a taxi driver, he used to be a taxi driver, now he has his own private car hire business. He's a double amputee, used to drive taxis and now he has his own private car hire. And he hired this guy, knowing that he had only one leg and he said, why don't you come drive a car for me? He said, really, me, without one leg? He said, hey, I, have, I don't have two legs, and <laughs> I'm driving. You have one leg, you can do better than me. So he, he gets this job, and he said, Doc, I can't tell you how much it changed my life to get up each day and know I have a purpose, that I can go out and that I can be useful, that I'm not just this useless, one-legged guy who has no purpose in life. But I have a purpose now. I get out. And he said I had a bounce in my step every morning. <laughs> I have a bounce in my step. And he said I get out and I go to work. And I'm overjoyed with the ability to work and gain uh, and, 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 and make money and, and talk to people. And, and he says I have the best time ever with, with the people who come in my car because I have these long conversations. And, and he was just talking about how much that one decision changed the, the course of the way he viewed his life, if something as simple as that can change a person's view of his life and the way he lives, what about the understanding of the fact that God of the universe, his spirit lives in you, will come and choose to live in you if you choose to accept him into your life, and that he can... Create incredible opportunities, giftings on your life, and the ability to do things far beyond what you thought you could. Even imagine you were able to. Just imagine what that could do for your life. Jonathan chooses to combat inactivity with initiative. And that's what people who choose life will do. The other thing that I notice from this is we need to select our friends wisely. You know, when, when Jonathan decides to go and do this incredible feat that he's about to do, he runs that by his armor bearer. Now his armor bearer is a young fella who he trusts implicitly because your armor bearer is the one who carries your armor for you, but he's the one who also helps protect you in times of battle. And he's the one who gives you your weapons when you need it. And he knows what weapons, much like a caddy, I guess, at golf, you know. He knows exactly what club you need to use, I reckon. And he will tell you, uh, I think this is the one to use, so maybe use this sword. You have only one sword, by the way, but use this sword. <laughs> use the sword. It's a good choice. So his armor bearer was one whom he had a kindred, he shared a kindred spirit with. One who spoke the same language, one who understood his thoughts, one who was able to be an encourager to him when he said, this is what we are about to do. I love the words that he says to Jonathan. He says, when he says uh, that this is what I intend to do, you know what his armor bearer says? Do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. What would you do to have a friend like that who says, I am with you, heart and soul, Go ahead and do it. We all need friends like Jonathan's armor-bearer, friends who will build up and not tear down, friends who will inspire confidence and not just criticize, maybe criticize when we need to hear some criticism, friends who will encourage bold faith and not discourage us, friends who will support with heart and soul. You know, if you, uh, a couple of months ago, I went through a really hard time. It was the end of the year, coming to the end of the year. We'd been through COVID, uh, lots of issues in, in, in the department with, with various personalities and, and issues that we were dealing with. And uh, I almost hit a wall. And I remember telling my wife, I don't feel like getting up some days, you know? It's just like you wake up in the morning and there's no joy and you feel, oh, is this what a midlife crisis is like? She says, "Nana, you're past your midlife. <laughs> <laughs> You can't have a midlife crisis now. <laughs> I did think about a Harley, but she said, no, 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 no. It's definitely not a midlife crisis. But what did I do when I was faced with that? You know, I, I sought out people. I talked to people. I found a friend from church who I could go and spend time with and talk to him and, and describe what I was going through. He didn't have the answers, but he sat and he listened And he prayed, and that that was just such an encouragement for me to have someone like that who I could call on, who I could talk to, and who I could have a person who I knew would have my back, who would listen to me in confidence and still be able to pray with me. We need people like that. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that we need to be careful about the people we spend time with, The righteous use caution when choosing friends because the way of the wicked leads them astray. That's what Proverbs says. Bad company corrupts good morals, 1 Corinthians. Solomon says two are better than one for they have a good return for their labor. And the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. There's a guy called Jay Strack, and in his book called Above and Beyond, he says, who you associate with is one of the few decisions over which you have 100% control. So pray for godly motivated friendships and take time to develop them. As a Christian, be kind to everyone in your path. But in relationships, share it with people with like values and passions. Jonathan was surrounded by people who had so many excuses. And legitimate excuses, legitimate reasons to st- be stuck in a cave of defeat and despair. Oh, the Philistines are too strong. We don't have enough weapons. We are just following our king. It is the government's fault. <laughs> no one can deny that these men faced enormous challenges. But we serve a God who does the impossible. And when you have friends who can come alongside you, what I would suggest to you is you must sever ties, cut ties with those who prefer to hide in dusty caves and join heart and soul with those who will climb mountains for the glory of God. I want to ask the men in our church. I know the women are, are okay. I'm sure you have people around you. But the men in church, who, who do you have in your life that you can call on? You know, are you on the men's Facebook page? Do you know of times when we, we do run times, like for example, every second Saturday, as much as possible, Dave meets at the Water Tank Cafe. For two hours, he sits there and men come together. Some men come together. And it's an opportunity for us to get together and just talk. Talk and build friendships. And, and maybe even as you build a friendship, you, you trust the person. Then you begin to share more about what's happening in your life and what, what you'd like prayer for. You need to make the move. No one can make the move for you. You need to seek out men who, you can stand, who will stand alongside you. Use things like Facebook and, and use opportunities to have men who will come around you. The third thing that I want to talk about is the fact that Jonathan strived for victory. He didn't just get out one day of the camp and say, I'm going to get out of the cave because I want to escape the cave. No. And I'm not going to climb up this, this, this really dangerous path just because I want to get out of where I am. He didn't want any attention. He didn't want people to know about this. In fact, he doesn't tell anyone. He doesn't even tell his father. But he desired victory. He desired victory. That was what his, his burning desire was. As I step out here and as I go up this really difficult mountain path, as I meet up with these, in this, with these Philistines... I am going against them in the power of the Lord, but I don't just want to meet them and then be a defeated person. I want to win a victory today. You know, Jonathan's climb, it paints a powerful picture of, be, of victory being available to those who are willing to move to a higher level of faith, those who are willing to leave a comfort zone, those who are willing to risk being different. Victory is ultimately, and this is important, you must hear me, victory is ultimately accomplished by God. And Jonathan clearly states he will not fight unless he has perceived that the Lord has given them into our hands. Because that's what he says in verse 8. We will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go, because that is the Lord's sign. He knew there was a sign that he was going to look for That would assure him that that the Lord is in this fight. But he also understands that he has a role to play. It's not just that let go and let God, some people say. No, we have a role to play. And if we are going to achieve victory, and we're going to step out and we want to achieve victory, we need to also prepare ourselves and do the hard yards of what needs to happen. We need to hear the voice of God as well. Victory is rarely spontaneous. It usually comes after significant preparation, determination, and consecration. And and to be honest, most people refuse to pay the price for victory. But the sad reality is that the price of failure is far greater. The price of failure is far greater. For Jonathan to be able to do that climb, he had to be physically fit. For him to be able to fight against those Philistines, he had to have skills in battle. He had to be able to wield his sword and wield his sword well. Do you think that just came when suddenly when he decided to climb the mountain? He would have spent hours making sure that he was at the peak of his physical fitness. He would have spent hours honing his skills at using a sword in battle. That is what would give assure him of victory, along with the fact that he decided to step out. He also had skills and abilities. And so sometimes I feel we need to also recognize that as we step out and we want to achieve things for the Lord, maybe there are things that we need to start dealing with to make sure that we can achieve success. So when when Emily is told, you're going to become the generation's pastor, you're not going to look after kids. You're going to look after young adults. You're going to look after every... year. I think, she, is she looking after the elderly people as well? No, no, not yet. Not yet. Not, yet. not quite, no. Uh, that includes me. I, I meant me. But she's not looking after me yet. But when, when Emily is given that task, and it's a daunting task, she's not stepping into it not knowing what's going to happen. She is fully aware of what is required. But to achieve success in that role, she needs to prepare herself and she needs to spend time in recognizing what the role needs, what what kind of skills and giftings do I need to be able to achieve this. She spends the time and then she becomes successful in the role she's offered. It's the same thing with each of us. We may have things we want to achieve, but do we have the skills and abilities? Do we need to spend time in preparation, in preparation, to make you spiritually effective in your knowledge and use of the word of God? Are you spending time? Are you hearing the voice of God? Are you knowing what God wants you to do and what God w- wants you to achieve? Jonathan heard. Jonathan knew. May Every single person in the Bible who you look at and read their story, there were men who spent time hearing and listening, and they could recognize the voice of God when, the vo- when God spoke. So what preparation will you make spiritually to be effective in your knowledge and, u- and f- use of the word of God? How will you achieve success? You know, when I wanted to... So I, I'm, most of you know that I'm a cat lover. Yeah? I, I, I'm happy to announce it. Yes, I am a cat lover. So when I first wanted to get a cat, and Minnie is not a cat lover at all, <laughs> but when I first wanted to get a cat, I waited till she went away on a, on a, on a conference, away to Adelaide. <laughs> she came back to this adorable little kitten at home and she had squeals when she saw the kitten, not of excitement and joy, but of <laughs> utter horror that we had this creature in our home. But over the years, you know, he, he was with us for 12 years. She grew to love and adore him. And, and then we lost him uh, a year and a half ago. And then, you know, it took us almost a year of grieving, honestly, a year grieving over this fellow who became a part of our lives. And then I thought, now it's time to get another one right? But Minnie would not hear of it, so I had to employ strategies. So at night, while we're lying in bed, I would look up all these cat videos on YouTube and all these adorable little kittens and I'd say, hey, Minnie, have a look at this one. Aww, how cute is this little fella, you know? So I am happy to announce (laughs) that in January, You will all be invited (laughs) when my little fella comes. We've already named him. His name is Shadow, and he's a Maine Coon, one of the biggest cat breeds in the world. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. he's going to be amazing. But you know, to achieve success, (laughs) to achieve success, it took planning and preparation Like soldiers in Saul's army, our tendency is to retreat in the face of enemy threats and difficult trials. And sometimes we hide behind so many things. They hid in dusty caves. We hide behind excuses and we hide behind so many reasons why we cannot. But really, if you want to live a life, a Zoe life, a life that is filled, that is flourishing and, and thriving. It's a life that in, in which you accomplish God's purposes for you, where you are excited every morning to get out of bed. You know, next, next year, we do not know exactly what things are going to look like in church. We do know that our God who established this church has been faithful. This is his bride, and we know that all these years, He has always been faithful. And so in the coming year as well, whoever comes and whoever leads the church, what are we doing in preparation for that next season is what I want to ask of you. Be excited for the next season. Start preparing for the next season. Some of you are considering next level. Stop thinking about it. Just say yes. Go give your name in at the hub after the service. Say, I'm going to do it. It's a commitment, but it's a commitment you will never regret because I tell you, the things you will learn and gain, as you've heard from those who have done Next Level, is incredible. Choose what you're going to do. Choose to volunteer in church. Choose. I'm going to come and I'm going to sow my life into church. I'm going to be more involved in church. We went out on, on Friday at the Christmas markets to our prayer stall And sometimes, I know it's not something that I'm comfortable doing, standing out in public and and saying that we are here to pray for you. Would you like prayer? Handing out tracts and and giving Bibles to those who want them. But you know what? We had such a beautiful time on Friday night. We had close to 12 people come through, being prayed for with significant issues in their lives. We had the opportunity to give away countless tracts and books that day and Bibles and it was just such a joy to be able to connect with people I saw Ken on the other side with the creation stall He spent almost an hour talking to this couple who came and had questions and he was able to, to talk for, for, for that much time just, just dealing with the, with, the, with the questions in their minds and giving them resources for them to be able to read upon there's so many things that we can be involved in First and foremost and the most important thing, please hear my heart, is let us choose to learn to be intimate with our God, to learn to walk with him, to learn to seek his face, to learn to read his word, to learn to allow him to speak to our hearts so that we clearly hear his voice, clearly hear his voice, know what it is that he wants to do in and through us. I want us all to stand, please, in the presence of God. You know, there are some of you in church this morning. And you've been hearing about this this life, this Zoe life, this life of flourishing and thriving and, and you wonder maybe you've never heard of it or maybe you've heard about it and you've forgotten about it, but it's a life of excitement and it's a life of abundance. It's a life of peace and, and joy because it's a life that, is, that comes to you because the spirit of the living God dwells and makes his residence in you. And the way for that spirit to come and dwell in you requires you to make a decision. And it's a choice you have because the God of the universe whom we serve and whom we love, he's a God who will never force his will on anyone, but he allows you to make your decision and your choice. And that God of the universe sent his son Jesus who would die on a cross shedding his blood because that was the sacrifice and that was the penalty that was required for the God of the universe to be able to forgive you for your sins and, your, and to bring you into relationship with him. The choice you have, my friend, my brother and my sister, is to say, I believe and yes. Because the Bible says if you believe in your heart, And confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be saved. You believe and accept that Jesus that you are talking about, this Jesus, he died on the cross for my sins. And when I say yes to him, what happens is he comes and his spirit lives in my heart. And he will transform the way I think. He will transform the way I believe. He will transform the way I see the world around me. You have that choice today, my brother and sister. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you that opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Yes to to this King of the universe coming and making residence in your heart. And it doesn't matter where you have been, however far you have moved away from God, whatever you have done in your life, there is nothing you have ever done that will stop This God of the universe embracing you and accepting you completely and fully as you are. So this morning, if there's anyone, as I look across this auditorium, who wants to say yes to Jesus, yes to wanting this King of the universe to come and live in your heart, if there's anyone, would you just raise your hand? Look at me, raise your hand, and I will know whom I am praying for. I see you, my brother. Yes, my sister. Yes, I see you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else across this auditorium? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If you were one of those who raised your hand, I would like you to pray this prayer with me. And the rest of us can join as well. And if there's anyone who hasn't raised their hands as well, I just want you to place your hand on your heart if that's what you want to do. God of heaven, repeat after me. God of heaven, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for my sin. And by his blood, I have been forgiven. I want you to come into my heart. I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to make me a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And for the rest of us, I challenge you, even as we remain at this time of prayer and consideration, I, I challenge you. What are you going to do with your life from this day forth in the light of what you have heard? What is the choice you are going to make about how you live your life and what you are going to accomplish? I pray that the God of the universe will inspire you to make a choice to step out in listening to his voice, be brave and walk up to the mountain where he resides and say, God of the universe, I want to walk with you. I want to live my life to your glory. I want to do the things you have destined and desired for me to do because your word tells me you created me for far greater things. And I thank you, my Heavenly Father, that you are going to do incredible things in our lives. Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves into your hands and we dedicate ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.